This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome back to The Bunker Daily. I'm Naomi Smith. COVID deaths in the UK have now passed 60,000. Hospital wards are reaching capacity again. And Imperial College says England is recording 100,000 new infections a day. Compounding this second wave health crisis is the end of the furlough scheme, soaring unemployment and, of course, impending disruption to our trade due to Brexit. Put simply, lives and livelihoods are being put at risk as the government fails to protect our health and our wealth. Not only do we have some of the worst health outcomes from COVID globally, our economic decline is also comparatively dire. The government has tried to claim that they can either save lives or the economy, but at the moment they're doing neither, leading many to realise it is a false binary. Despite our perilous situation, no one in government nor the opposition has laid out a comprehensive strategy for getting out of this mess. Our leaders just seem to lurch from one response to the next without any overarching exit plan. They've got all the tears, but no ideas. Thankfully, though, one group does. Regular listeners may remember that I've previously interviewed Dr. Sarah Wollaston, Leila Moran MP and Dr. Dan Poulter MP for this podcast about the crucial work of their all-party parliamentary group on coronavirus. For many months now, they've been taking evidence from medics, scientists, local authorities, international health experts, bereaved families, COVID sufferers and more as part of their inquiry. And based on that evidence, this week the group has published a strategy to make the UK COVID secure. They claim that this is the only way we can get infections under control and open up the economy in a sustainable way. And here to tell us all about it is Tom Brafato, the director of the campaign group March for Change that has been coordinating the APPG's inquiry. Tom, welcome to the Bunker Daily. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. So to kick us all off, what does March for Change do and why did you want to support the APPG on coronavirus's inquiry? Uh, well, March for Change is a campaign organisation. It is run by myself and Dr. Mike Galsworthy. What we do is uh, we are a platform for citizen empowerment, effectively, and we campaign on topics that we think are of highest uh, priority to the British people and the public. So effectively, that's why we got into uh, uh, supporting the APPG on coronavirus. Compared to many other governments across Europe, particularly, the UK seemed to be taking a rather oppositionist approach to what everyone else was doing and that worried us and we thought it was a good time to increase the level of scrutiny and accountability that was um, taking place. Obviously rather difficult to do that with a government with an 80 seat majority so we had to think outside the box and this is where the APPG came from and the purpose of it is to learn the lessons from the first wave to improve the response of the UK government in what is now the second one. And, and this, the strategy that you've published uh, to make the UK COVID secure is essentially a, a three-point plan. So control, suppress, and eliminate. Can you just talk us through each of those three? Explain what each means. Yes. 
So uh, the COVID Secure UK plan is is a, an exit strategy for the United Kingdom. And this is uh, how it's framed and how we're pitching it. That's why there are three steps. Now, the control step, I think, is the one that where most people will be, well, will be used to hearing it because it's what the government uh, says they're doing constantly. And the focus of that is simply to get R below one. Now, we do make a set of specific uh, recommendations and steps that should be taken uh, that aren't being taken at the minute as part of that. Obviously, that starts with fixing uh, uh, a locally led test and trace system in England as a matter of urgency, because that is the backbone of the COVID Secure UK plan and other bits such as devolving the response powers to local authorities and uh, other slightly more innovative recommendations like broadcasting the local level of infections uh, uh, on local broadcasters as part of the weather bulletins in the same way as we do with the UV and the pollen count. What so it would say it would say oh here tonight on look north we're you know it's going to be 18 degrees and the UV levels are x and the covid levels are y. Indeed. So that would the idea behind it is that it would uh, make people more conscious about what the risks are in their local community and increase compliance um, is the idea behind that. Yes, control is get R below one. But the most important part of the plan is the suppression element. So government's uh, strategy at the minute only goes as far as getting R below one. This is where the COVID secure plan comes into play. It's really with the suppress and eliminate stages. Now, in the suppress stage, the fundamental part of this is that we are trapped in a cycle of uh, lockdown, open up, lockdown, open up, whether that is a tier system, whether that is entire uh, devolved nations uh, or the entire UK. What that is doing is it is hindering our ability to function economically at the same time. As you mentioned at the beginning, it's the worst of both, both worlds. We have the some of the worst death rates in the uh, um, in Europe, but we've also got the worst projected hit on GDP at the same time. So the suppressed part of the plan proposes the idea that you move your front line in the response, which is currently in our schools, in our workplaces, and in our communities, and you shift that to the UK's entry points, and you catch new cases before they make it in. Now, in order to do that, of course, the government needs to uh, beef up uh, testing capacity and uh, quarantine at the UK's entry points. So we're suggesting, you know, test on entry seven days afterwards, have the infrastructure for enforceable quarantine uh, for people coming in in case they test positive. That all has to be that has to be done, of course, in the control phase so that you're ready. And we're also proposing that we don't actually uh, uh, move from control to suppression until this is in place and the number of new cases has dropped below the 10 million new cases per day over a seven rolling day average. And that's really the, the big difference in what is happening at the moment. And then finally, eliminate is quite simply, of course, when, if and when there is a vaccine or alternative medical remedy, then it's planning for the rollout of such a remedy from the beginning, because of course, that element is also with its own complications. So what you're saying is we've got to control it in communities first and get that R below one. So once we don't have much community transmission, then we've got to make sure no new infection comes into the country. And that's the suppression at the borders and then elimination uh, happening as and when there's a vaccine and, and making sure there's a rollout for that. Some in government are going to say, well, this this isn't very different to the plan of, you know, of, of what we're already doing. What, what do you say to that? I mean, you, you sort of said the suppression bit was the difference, but but is there more to it than that? 
yes, it's it's the fund it's the philosophy of the response. So the problem, the reason why we are in this uh, in facing down the second wave as we are without really having changed much at all from the first wave response is quite simply because government is operating on the principle that there is this balance to be had between saving lives or saving jobs and the economy. And that's that's why we, we've sort of ended up in the worst of both worlds situation that we're in. This plan is based in the principle that in order to save the economy, then you have to save lives and you have to focus on see them as one thing that can't be separated out so by basically saving as many lives as possible getting the level of transmission as low as possible in the interim that and beefing up your response at the borders that will allow you to open up the uh, economy sustainably and protect both the health and wealth of the uk as a whole and that's it's a fundamental difference in approach either you see it as lives versus economy or you see it as saving lives will save the economy. So let's go back to the first point in the plan, control. The farce, of course, of test and trace is very well documented, but the report does also talk about the need to isolate and support. We're seeing much lower adherence to the rules this time round. Uh, one might even say Dominic Cummings' levels of adherence at home. What makes you think Brits will be more likely to stick to the rules of this exit strategy and isolate themselves as necessary? I think there are three contributing factors to why we're seeing low levels of compliance with regulations. Now, the first one is communication. Uh, it's been very poor. We've had stuff such as the one meter plus, which can mean anything to anybody at all times. So there are recommendations there about improved uh, uh, communication, you know, reestablishing the daily uh, presses on coronavirus and so forth. Uh, potentially the most important one is uh, leadership and leading by example and having a plan. And that's your Dominic Cummings effect, which has certainly uh, made matters worse in terms of compliance. But it's fundamentally, it's people have already done the first lockdown. They've been through it. It was horrible for everyone. And the, that we're facing a second wave and, you know, with millions already in a second de facto lockdown in the UK already, people are wondering why on earth they're doing it. And with the answer at the minute being to get our below one, which is already what they were told uh, uh, months ago in the first lockdown, then that's not sufficient because they need to see why they need to be people need to hear from the government why they're being asked to do this again and that's what's missing in the government's plan and lastly the point about financially supporting people to self-isolate there's a lot of people who can't comply with self-isolation simply because they can't make ends meet and they have to go to work and that's why as part of the plan we're calling for a uh, uh, full uh, salary uh, uh, compensation for those that are asked to self-isolate Thank you. And turning to the second point, uh, suppress, you uh, mentioned in the plan New Zealand as an example to follow. Similarly, an island nation to us, hopefully we have similar geographic advantage. They closed the borders almost entirely. But if this strategy is about getting us to a stage where we can sustainably open up the economy again, surely you're going to need to open the borders pretty quickly. Yes, indeed. And, and I guess that's one of the differences uh, between uh, in the comparison. We say that New Zealand is sort of the most similar, uh, if you were to pick a country in terms of the approach to the response to the coronavirus. But actually, what we're saying is by building the infrastructure to test people 
coming in and, and the quarantine, then you wouldn't, you would, we're not actually arguing to close the borders and prevent people from coming to the UK. What we're saying here is to have the systems in place to catch any new cases entering the UK at the borders. So um, effectively, we wouldn't be closing the borders. The borders would stay open, but we would be making sure that people on arrival are tested. They're tested seven days later. And if they test positive, then we ask them to quarantine at regulated locations. And under the third point, eliminate, perhaps the most difficult one in many respects, because the scientific community seem to be increasingly of the view that it just won't be possible to eliminate the virus, that we may have to live with COVID for the rest of our lives, much as we do with other viruses from, you know, flu to HIV. Can you still make the UK COVID secure in the scenario where elimination simply isn't possible? Well, in the event, uh, that's a very good point. In the, ultimately, we hear that exactly the same scientists are not convinced uh, that the rhetoric used by, say, uh, uh, leading politicians regarding the vaccine is matched by the scientific reality of the situation. So elimination, that's why we say eventually, when it's ready, then that's what we do. And the whole plan is couched, actually, part of it is in the fact that we might not have a successful vaccine uh, uh, next year or, uh, uh, or ever. But it is setting up the United Kingdom to be able to cope with it by catching new cases at the border and moving the front line away from our communities and uh, to the UK's entry point. So it is uh, designed, in fact, with that in mind. So is this plan just something that the MPs have devised based on the evidence that they've heard? I mean, surely you're going to need the science community behind this to gain traction. Yes, we do need the scientific community for it to gain traction. And no, it's the plan has been devised on the back of lots of recommendations received by the APPG on coronavirus. So we've heard from you know everyone from the British Medical Association, uh, so many of the Royal Colleges, and individuals, as you mentioned in the beginning. And this plan uh, has been sanctioned and developed uh, has been developed on the back of many of these uh, submissions that we received. Uh, but it's also been sanctioned by leading public health experts such as Martin McKee, CB, and others uh, on the back of the fact that this is our best bet to actually get this uh, the UK through this second wave. So Martin McKee from Indy Sage backs it? Yes, Independent Sage and Professor of uh, Public Health. So Caroline Lucas, Philippa Whitford, Leila Moran, they've all been doing extensive broadcasts promoting this plan to make the UK COVID secure this week. And it sounds really like they're, they're basically offering the government a get-out-of-jail free card if, if they adopt this plan. Do you think they will? Uh, not. If we do nothing, it won't, that won't happen. So we are going to focus our energies to build the cross-party cross-house support uh, to enable to ensure that this plan works because remember one key point of this is that public health is devolved whereas border enforcement is controlled centrally so actually it runs through the center of this through the middle of this plan runs the requirement for devolved administrations and central government to work together this plan only works if political parties agree devolved administrations agree uh, the central government agrees and local authorities agree. It does not, it only works if all components of the response are working together as one. So the focus of the campaign from this point onwards will be to build uh, cross-party, cross-house consensus 
uh, and consensus in the devolved administrations and with local authorities uh, such that the UK effectively approaches uh, um, the second wave as a united entity. Tom, that's all we've got time for today. But if listeners want to get behind the strategy, what can they do? Where can they find out more? They can go to the COVID Secure UK website, which is covidsecureuk.muchchange.uk, or they can follow us on social media at March underscore change, uh, or find us on Facebook, and that's the channels that we're communicating from. And if you like the sound of the COVID Secure UK and the vision of getting out of this mess, I guess you would also be encouraging people to put pressure on their MPs and say, hey, have you seen this? Why don't why don't you get the government to adopt it? Yes, certainly. The best way to engage with that is to go on our website, sign the petition, because that's where we will be uh, able to put people in touch with their MPs directly from. Tom, thank you very much for coming on the show. What's the next phase of your campaign going to be? Uh, the next phase is uh, a very simply build the cross-party consensus in Westminster. Well, we wish you all the luck with that. And that's the end of the show. Thank you all for listening in. And if you get the chance, do leave us a review over on iTunes. Give us a follow on Twitter. And if you're not already one of our lovely backers, please do check out our Patreon page too. Cheerio for now. Stay COVID secure. And see you next The Bunker Daily was presented by Naomi Smith. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Bunker Daily.